Would you pray with me? Father, we do ask that you would give us your Holy Spirit this morning to open and speak your word to us, that we might hear it as clear as the disciples heard you say, this is my beloved son, listen to him. We need your Holy Spirit, and we ask that you would fill us sufficiently for this task in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, please be seated. Good morning. Good morning. Let's see. Have you ever met someone famous? I mean, think about it for a minute. I'm sure you have. Around Charleston, you might have run into the cast from the Outer Banks Netflix hit show, or you might have had an encounter with Darius Rucker. Or the chances are you more likely had a a, a run-in with Bill Murray, right? Ever popular, famous guy. Uh, We once uh, once ran into Bill Murray at the airport. He was ahead of us in the TSA line. Let me just say that if you ever want to get anything through TSA without them noticing, follow Bill Murray. I mean, everybody was just staring at him. You could have walked through there with an arsenal. And, um, you know... Uh, or my personal favorite local star is the dashing star of the BBC, the BBC show, The Vicar of Sullivan's Island, Chris Warner. You know, I mean, he's handsome. He's got that California good looks. It's the great story of a California boy transplanted to be the vicar of a small parish church on the islands of South Carolina. Check it out on your PBS station. Um, <laughs> You know, when I, I don't know about you, but when I see somebody famous, it leaves me kind of effulgent. I start glowing. I'm like, oh, man, did you see so-and-so? And I'm guessing that you all have similar encounters uh, or near encounters with someone famous. I once uh, ate sushi with the actor Philip Seymour Hoffman at the Miyabis in Myrtle Beach. You know, if you want to go see somebody famous, go to Miyabi's there in Merle's Inlet, and you can run into him. I was out with friends. Philip was having dinner by himself at the sushi bar. We said hello. Now I say that I've had dinner with Philip Seymour often. <laughs> That's how it goes. Uh, the story gets better with time, I'm sure. Um, I once chased down NASCAR great Jeff Gordon for an autograph. Uh, which is no small feat. Even outside of a car, he's very, very fast. Um, I actually brought it with me. Uh, there it is. It, I mean, these all look the same, but that's Jeff Gordon. And uh, incidentally, I haven't figured it out, but NASCAR has never issued me a pit pass since um, th- that occasion. Uh, last spring, I missed an opportunity to meet my childhood baseball uh, hero, my brothers-in-law were going to spring training, and I decided to to take a pass at that. And I missed meeting and taking pictures with Yankees great first baseman Don Mattingly, who was my hero growing up. Now I don't know about you, but even though you might have met someone famous, you don't really know someone famous, right? I mean, you might. There may be actually somebody you do know, but all of those examples are people that I met or potentially met, but I wouldn't know, right? I wouldn't know them in any intimate kind of way. And just a moment ago, I, uh, or Skip, read the account of Peter, James, and John's incredible encounter with arguably the most famous people in all of the Bible. And it's a story that illustrates that Jesus is divine. It's a story that illustrates that he is distinct. And it's a story that illustrates that he is desirable. 
And before I unpack those, I want you to know that Jesus has invited these three disciples in particular. You see, uh, they are part of his inner circle. And they are going to be the most important figures in the early church along with the apostle Paul. And Mark emphasizes in this event the transfiguration, right? Uh, That it's taking place for their benefit. You can look at the passage with me uh, in verse 2. It says that Jesus took the three with him and led them up a high mountain. And he was transfigured before them. His clothes became radiant white like no one has ever seen. And if you read Luke's version of this, of this it says that Jesus' face shone. It glowed. Verse 4, there appeared to them Elijah and Moses with Jesus. Verse 7, then a cloud appeared and covered up Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. And a voice came out of the cloud and said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. The voice, God's voice, was there to be heard by the disciples as they were outside the cloud. See, this encounter took place for the disciples' benefit. And it is recorded in Mark's gospel for your benefit. So that you might know Jesus is divine. So that you might know that he is distinct. And so that you might desire him. So first thing, Jesus is divine. The voice from the cloud is God's voice. And he says, this is my son. Basically, if God is the king, this is the prince, right? He's royalty. He's divine. See, in the Old Testament, the mountain represented is associated with closeness with God or intimacy with him. It is the place where God's revelation takes place. And Jesus' two companions, right, Elijah and Moses, they were no strangers to this fact. Both had met with God on mountains. In Exodus, we know that God gave and confirmed the covenant with Moses and the Israelites on a mountain, right? He gave the law on the mountain. We just read in 1 Kings 19, Elijah is on Mount Horeb. When God calls him out of the mouth of the cave that he's hiding in and speaks to him in a whisper, the greats of the Bible encounter God on the mountain. And so on this mountain, God reveals his divinity, or God reveals the divinity of his son to these three disciples, arguably the greater people in the early church, you see. Encounters with Jesus, encounters with God, intimacy with him is often found on the mountain. Jesus is divine. Second thing is he's distinct. So while he appears with Moses and Elijah, in the end, he's the only one who remains, right? The other two disappear. 
And Peter, he, uh, he stumbles his way through this, right? He teaches us an important lesson. Whenever you are sure not, not sure what's happening, whenever you're ter- terrified, the best thing to do is to start talking and keep talking until you figure it out, right? No, that's not what he says. Well, like, Jesus, let's make you some tents, right? And Jesus is like, no, Peter, not tents. All right, how about some yurts? No, Jesus, not yurts. We're not done here, Peter. Oh, we're going back down the mountain. Well, Jesus, what about some RVs, right? What if we got you three RVs, nice little rides you can go about? No, Peter, right? As one commentator says, Peter's real mistake is this, is that he, uh, he thinks of the three figures as being on par with each other. Thinking to honor Jesus by ranking him with Moses and Elijah, he is still far from recognizing Jesus' true status. See, Jesus, he is distinct from Moses, he is distinct from Elijah, and he is distinct from every human being. Finally, Jesus is desirable. So in fairness to Peter, he knows that whatever is happening on the mountain is a good thing, right? He recognizes that this is an important moment. He doesn't want it to end. He desires, though he does not know fully why, he desires whatever it is that Jesus is demonstrating. He knows that it's good. Now, think about yourself for a moment. When you think about your own spiritual life, which one of you doesn't want to know Jesus this way? Which one of you doesn't want to know Jesus, the one who comes into the world to live for you, to die for you, to save you from your sin? Who doesn't want to know Jesus is divine with certainty? Who doesn't want to understand that he's so distinct from every other person and every other thing that you should desire him above all else? Who doesn't want to know Jesus intimately? To see his glory the way the disciples saw his glory up there on the mountain. And the good news is this. That you can know him intimately. That following Jesus leads to intimacy with Jesus. Let me say that again. Following Jesus leads to intimacy with Jesus. So this week is our last theme in our series, The Call of God. And when you answer the call of God to follow Jesus, you are beginning a journey whose destination is glory. See, you are meant to know him intimately. You are meant to see his glory. And you are meant to be transformed into his likeness. And you might be thinking this. Well, I'd like to have that experience. I want that. And perhaps you've been following Jesus for quite some time and you think to yourself, well, quite honestly, that's not been my experience. Why haven't I seen that? If you're feeling that way and you want to know how to find this level of intimacy with Jesus, I invite you just to think about the Apostle Peter's life for a moment. Perhaps you're familiar with it, but I'll give you a quick outline before Peter was the apostle Peter. He was the fisherman Peter, right? And he answered God's call or Jesus' call to follow him. And he left his fishing nets in his boat and followed Jesus, right? Jesus even went on to say that, uh, Peter, on you, I will build my church. He said it really early on. And I'm going to give you a new name and it's going to be the rock. Later, 
Peter had the bold faith to step out of the boat and walk on the water with Jesus. And then immediately he took his eyes off Jesus and began to sink and had to cry out, Jesus saved me, and Jesus saved him. And, you know, it's a, just the previous chapter before the one we read today in chapter 8 of Mark's gospel. Jesus makes this incredible confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the expected Savior. And then in this chapter, he offers this awkward, fearful, nervous, unsure statement about what's happening in front of him. And probably his most significant foible is recorded by all four of the gospel writers. You want to know what's important in the Bible, what's important in the gospel? And when you see it show up in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's important. And this is recorded in all of it. In Mark chapter 14, he writes about Peter saying, look, even he's saying to Jesus, he goes, even though all those other people will fall away, I will never fall away. Even though the other disciples are going to leave you, I'm never going to do it. And what does Jesus say to Peter? He says, truly, I tell you that before the cock crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. And that's exactly what happened. This is Peter's life. Moments of boldness, right? Hooray. And moments of mess, oh my. Disappointing moments and glorious moments. I want to ask you, can you see your own life in Christ through that lens? Can you see it in Peter's life? I don't know about you, but it is a deep comfort to me that the most important figures in Christianity are gloriously stumbling their way through their spiritual life. Right? Yet here's the truth. Here's the thing you've got to hold on to. Here's the thing that they never stop doing. They never stop following Jesus. Through all of that, sometimes Jesus had to run off and get them, but they didn't stop. They didn't quit. The transfiguration story does tell us about Jesus' divinity, his distinct place in history, and his desirability. But I think it also tells us something about our lives as Jesus' disciples. Following Jesus, answering his call, leads to intimate knowledge of him. Take note of a few things in your mind here from our story. Some observations. Moments of deep revelation and spiritual transformation are shared in community. Jesus didn't invite just Peter up the mountain. He invited Peter, James, and John up the mountain, right? Life in Christ, the spiritual life, is always done in community. Second, life with Jesus didn't start on the mountain. The disciples had been walking with Jesus for some time. They'd been seeing his miracles, listening to his teaching and his words, and doing what he had asked. And through all of this, they were coming to know him, and were ready to recognize in this moment his identity. See, Jesus revealed to them what they needed at that moment. And the transfiguration is God's way of confirming all that Jesus had and will do. Jesus didn't, didn't st- life with Jesus didn't start on the mountain. Third, Jesus didn't intend for them to stay on the mountain. The mountain view is incomplete without going back down, watching Jesus endure rejection, watching the injustice of the cross and him dying the death we deserve. 
See, God's own son illuminated on the mountain in this story. He dies for Peter and he dies for me and he dies for you. He, see, you're meant to have this intimate knowledge and understanding and friendship with Jesus. And intimacy, friends, comes with time spent together. If you're married, you know this. You know your spouse now more intimately than you did on your wedding day. You know their thoughts, their insecurities, you know their strengths, you know their potential. You see them more clearly than any other person. You know them. Or think about your closest friend. You didn't become uh, this close in an instant. Aristotle said wishing to be friends is quick work, but friendship is slow ripening fruit. You cannot know someone in an instant. It takes time. There's a study uh, released in 2018 that found that it takes roughly 50 hours of time together to go from an acquaintance to a casual friend. And then it takes 90 hours from there to go from casual friend to kind of friend, simple friend status. And then more than 200 hours from there to become close friends. If you want to know Jesus intimately, the way the disciples knew Jesus intimately, then you have to follow him. Time following Jesus leads to intimacy with Jesus. So, what are the next steps? What are your next steps if you want to know Jesus this intimately? I've got four points, right? We'll go through them fairly quickly. Make intimacy with Jesus the goal of your life. There's no miracle drug for this. There's no quick fix. Spiritually, you cannot replace what is established over time in an instant. You cannot find intimacy with Jesus, knowledge of Jesus, the comfort that comes from Jesus. You cannot find that in one hour a week. Jesus reveals the truth about himself over time to the disciples. And nothing has changed in 2,000 years. As someone famous once said, to change your life, you need to change your priorities. Paul writes that we should put off the old self and put on the new. Make intimacy with Jesus the goal of your life. Second, make regular time with Jesus the priority of your life. He will not lead you astray. Uh, Pastor A.W. Tozer wrote this. He said, there is no danger that we go seriously astray from the truth if we walk humbly with Jesus, trust completely, search the scriptures daily, and expect divine illumination so that we don't lean on our own understanding. Make regular time with Jesus the priority of your life. It will not return to you empty. Third, take time to get off the mountain. Now, I don't know about you, but I love the mountaintop experience, right? Uh, you know, the incredible moments, excuse me, the incredible moments of power that you receive from Jesus, glimpses of his glory, emotional connection, spiritual renewal. Those are great moments, right? But here's the thing. You can't truly know Jesus without knowing the people that Jesus loves. And in order to know the people that Jesus loves, you've got to come down off the mountain and go to them. 
Sometimes we have to, in order to fulfill the second part of God's call to call other people to Jesus, right? To make disciples of other people. We have to leave the Christian enclave that is some, that is so encouraging. Now don't get me wrong. You need to be in the church. The church needs you. We need you. You belong here. But we can get stuck inside the church and never go out for others. And if you want to understand Jesus and you want to understand what he's doing more clearly, then you have to go and do the thing that he's doing because that will reveal his identity. You have to love the world the way Jesus loved the world. You have to take time to get off the mountain. The final thing is this. Make time for other people. Following Jesus is a team effort. Jesus always calls, sends, teaches his disciples in community. It might seem a little paradoxical to the one right before this, but we all need community. We need other Christians to walk with, to worship with, to go out and serve with. And that's why here at Holy Cross we gather week by week in worship and we gather week by week in life groups. It's why the emphasis is there. It's because Jesus always teaches his disciples in community. Now, after saying all this, after preaching for six weeks on the call of God to follow him, and we're not done, we'll continue to emphasize that here at Holy Cross. Ultimately, the onus to follow Jesus is still on each one of us. It is on you to follow him more regularly, more completely than you did yesterday. And the truth is, is that we can only do that with God's help, with the Holy Spirit's strength. And so let's now pray that God would equip us and help us to follow him fully. Let's pray. Father, I do ask, excuse me, Father, I do ask that you would give us your Holy Spirit, that you would fill each woman and man here, Lord, that you would help them and help me to follow you more clearly, more fully than I did yesterday, that I might engage in your word, I might uh, engage in prayer, I might see you for all that you are that we might see you for all that you are. Lord, give us your Holy Spirit to help us. In Jesus' name, amen.